Good morning. morning. How's everyone doing? Blessed. It's wonderful to hear, hear that. Wonderful to, to sing songs of worship. We are to to wait upon the Lord. A day will come where the Lord takes us home. Amen. But in the meantime, we have work to do. Amen. Much of that will work will revolve around worship. When we talk about praying for missionaries, what are we talking about? We're talking about supporting and sending out people who proclaim the gospel. So more will believe and more will worship. Because only when, when all of humanity is worshiping God is he really getting the worship he deserves. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the, the blessing it is to be a preacher of holy word. I pray for those here now, Lord, that we would prepare our hearts to receive your word, Lord. And they be your words and not my own. Be with us now and forever, Jesus, until you return. Amen. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all that region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Three of the word, you may be seated. I know for, for many of us, uh, this week may felt, it felt a little bit like a storm. Some, some of you I know felt like it was a bit of a hurricane. Some of it was a torrential downpour. and Some of it may have just been a light misting, but you know the forecast was calling for a lot more. But we'll, we thank God either way because we know he's in control of the storms. You know, we, we had a few that you know, we visited with in the hospitals this week, and some of them were very scared, and some of them rightfully so. But when it, when it comes to it, you know, the doctors will give wisdom and, and offer advice, but ultimately it is God who is our healer. God who is able to save our souls. So it is he who, who we are looking towards. But oftentimes, and I believe the, the doctors are well-meaning, we should listen and, and heed their advice, but oftentimes the world will tell us what they're thinking about us. Whether it's the doctors, I, I know Sister Shar, she, she had to go and they thought that she was having some serious heart issues to the point they were ready to put in a stint. And then they realized it wasn't her heart at all. 
And so it was a very scary moment. We're, we're very pleased with, with that, that result because that, that, that um, means that it's not something far worse. But when we look at the world, oftentimes you'll, you'll see uh, people will, will judge you by many different things. They'll judge you by how you dress. I know when I used to be in the, the business world, if, if I were to wear a shirt and tie, they're like, well, what, what job are you interviewing for today? You know, that, that's the only time you, you'd see IT people dressed up like that. But other times, if you were to wear in other settings a t-shirt and jeans, they're, they're like, you know, what's the matter with you? Do you not care how you look at all? You know, we, we have these different types of things. And, and I, I know some will, uh, of course, uh, course, throughout the day, people will talk about the things going on in the world. There's a, a big rally downtown Chicago right now. We need, to, we need to pray that the Lord would end abortion in this land. But people downtown would not agree with us. I know there's, there's times where you're going to go and, and you're going to say things and usually you'll, you'll hear something to this response is, I thought you were a Christian. Well, what are they doing when they say that? They're saying, my understanding of a Christian is this. You have to fit in my little box of what it is to be a Christian. Well, we, we have uh, two major political parties in this country, Republican and Democrat, and they most, for the most part, they both claim to be Christian. Every president we, we've ever had, to my knowledge, has claimed to be a Christian in some way or form. Thomas Jefferson might get an asterisk by, but outside of him, they've all claimed to be Christian, but they have very different ideas. And one group will say to others, you know, are you a Christian? You know, many people got opinions about our current president. I will tell you as a Christian, pray for him. We, we are commanded to pray for our leaders. Now, whether you think he's a Christian or not, that's, that's between you and God. But ultimately, we are to realize that the world is always judging. I want you to think about what it would have thought, thought about this man, John the Baptist. You know, he's a man we, we, we hear of, especially in Baptist circles. We, we, try to, we try to superpose the word Baptist to mean that he is an actual Baptist, but you know, it's, we can't quite fit that timeline in. Others have tried. It doesn't quite work. But ultimately, what, what would it have been like to, to have seen John the Baptist? A man who's literally living out in the wilderness, who has one outfit, it is uh, a um, this outfit made a tunic made out of uh, camel's hair and tied with a leather belt. That was his entire wardrobe. And he's not a man who was too worried about hygiene or what he looked like in a mirror. He would have had a long, scraggly hair and, and beard go going down. And he comes out and he says, Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. What were people to think of him? Let's, let's imagine what, what they would have seen in, in the priests, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. They would have seen a very well-manicured individual, a person that, that lived in, in a nice house and would have had the finest things to eat. And their, their, their robe would have been majestic and beautiful, and they would have had uh, stones that they'd wear during, during their ceremonies, things that would have made people go, now that is a priest. Now when you see John, that's not what you think. We would probably assume he's probably crazy, maybe a homeless man, out of his mind for sure. But he was a man's man living out in the wilderness. Instead of steak, he, he ate locusts. Anybody want to try that diet? No? you got to add a little honey to it. It was not too bad. I'll try to sell it on you. Okay, we got one. I'm going to infomercial going soon. <laughs> you understand that, that John had this appearance of somebody not quite of this world. Somebody that that either this man is really sent by God or this man needs to see a uh, professional help. But Jesus, or John was a man sent by God. 
And we, we've read through the early part of the Gospels when, when he is born and the entire land was in awe over John. What sort of man would he be? What sort of man would he be? I could ask the same question about you. What sort of person will you be? John was born for the purpose to, to glorify God. To make him known. To prepare the way of the Lord. I will challenge you with the, the, the same command given to John. Prepare the way of the Lord's second coming. Make your family know that Jesus is coming again. Somewhere along the lines, we, we, we got to this place in, in Christianity where we said, this is what it means to be a Christian. You, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is born of the Virgin. That he died for your sins, rose on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. To all those, we all should say, Amen. But there is a part that we are commanded to teach that is missing. It is the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Almost no one talks about it. And so it's very rare to hear it preached in a church service that Jesus is coming again. Guess what? He's coming again. It's talked about a whole lot in Scripture. Therefore, we should be talking about it too. But as we, we encounter John out, out in the wilderness and he's, he's baptizing people that were coming to him, and he's preaching this message. He's starting getting a following. And what, what happens? People start to take notice. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they sent, send some of their own people to take a look at what is going on with, with John. And so I think a little uh, background will, will help us because when, when we read John's response to seeing them, he says, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath of God? That seems a little harsh for somebody coming to, to hear you preaching. I, you know, I don't think I've said that to anyone here when they've come in the doors. That's, that, that would be a little harsh, harsh to say for any preacher. But when these people came, John knew them, and he knew what they were about. In those, in those days, there was many people rising up to claim to be the Messiah, the one who would save the people, because the people wanted to be saved not really from their sins. They enjoyed those too much. They wanted to be the saved from the Romans. They wanted to have their country back. They wanted to be a worship like they, they thought that God was telling them to worship. They didn't want to have to worry about the Roman soldiers telling them what they can and can't do. They, they wanted to be Israel again. And not this land that is occupied by this, this tyranny of a government in Rome. And so what happens, they, they did it in two phases. They would send out people to, to verify if, if somebody could possibly be a Messiah, if their following was sincere enough, if their followers believed in them enough that they, they would follow them. And sometimes these false messiahs would rise up and cause a big, big trouble. We see this later in AD 70 where Jesus' prophecy is fulfilled about the temple. There was a man that, that was raised up and claimed to be the messiah so much so that he led a violent revolt against Rome. And what was Rome's response? Kill them all and tear down the temple. This will end their, their dreams of a messiah. And that is what they did. And to this day, you go to Jerusalem, you'll find a wall, you won't find a temple. You'll find a, a, a pagan place of worship where the temple used to be, but you will not find the temple because Rome tore it down, just as Jesus had said. And so when we look, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to John and seeing if he possibly is, a, is the Messiah. And so when they, they view this and they, they realize that, that his following is real, that, that this man possibly could be the Messiah, they go and they start to question him. 
And, and we see this in the Gospel of uh, John, the first chapter, starting in uh, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. Reading on verse 24. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Jesus answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And so we see that these these observers, as they go, and they're they're starting to be antagonistic with John. They say, "Well, if you're not the Messiah, what on earth are you doing? Why are you out here in the wilderness telling people to to repent and prepare for the kingdom of God? Why are you baptizing them if you are not the Messiah or Elijah, who is to come before the Messiah?" So they have this struggle because they don't know what to do do with John. John, John is, is in Scripture, Jesus tells us that he is the greatest man ever to be born. Think of that. That is what Jesus says of John. It would be a pretty good eulogy somebody to say about you, right? I'm, but what we see with John, he's a man of absolute integrity. He will not compromise the word of God ever. No amount of money, no no amount of threats. His life is threatened many times, and there's a time where they take his life. You know, we, we often joke about the, you know, the, the preacher. Sometimes we see on TV and uh, the the wealth and the money and all all that stuff that they promise you. But most of Jesus's real followers that you see in Scripture, their life ends very much like John the Baptist. There's no grand retirement package. He loses his head quite literally. But he is called the greatest. And we could see and understand why. You know, David David says in the Psalms that his enemies encircle him. They lay a trap for him, waiting to say, aha. And it was the same way with, with John's enemies. They were looking for something to, to chip away at the armor and say, look, he's not really being a Christian. And the world does the same for you. They, they look for, for anywhere they can accuse you. The devil loves to play this game. He loves to say, see... You shouldn't believe that person because their testimony isn't real. They're not really living. And so you and I have a great challenge before us. We have to live those lives of integrity so that no one may give us charge. Peter, Peter tells us, do not allow anyone to make an accusation against you outside of, of your faith. If they're going to accuse you, let you be, be accused of being a Christian, not a hypocrite, not a phony. But li- live the, the life that God has called you to live. And I think it's important to know what, what John says here. Um, many of us have grown up in different different faiths, whether it's the Catholic faith or or uh, a faith of a different kind. And sometimes we say, well, I was born Lutheran or I was born Baptist or I was born this or that. No, you're not born any of that. You were born a sinner. That is the only thing you were born as. When, when, when if you're baptized as a baby, what does it mean? It means as a baby you got wet. You do not make no faith in Christ. You do not publicly get up there and say, I now believe that Jesus Christ has saved me from my sins and I have received eternal life because of my faith in him. Now, when, when we have baby, um, 
dedications. You know, we are, as parents, coming along and saying, we're going to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And oftentimes we fail. We should not expect, as, as the Jews in these days were expected, because Abraham was their ancestor, that they would receive salvation. Understand, God is able to do anything. We read here that God is able to take this stone and make it a descendant of Abraham. Wrap your mind around that. We are, we are saved not because of our own faith. We, we are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. and Because we have placed our faith not in ourselves, but in Him. And that is what we must do to, to inherit eternal life. The good news is Jesus doesn't require John the Baptist. If there was anybody worthy to follow Jesus, it was John. But he doesn't require John to be worthy to follow him. What does John say? I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. I want you to get this imagery really good. A slave in the New Testament times could be made to carry his master's um, books or his master's articles, his, his clothing, everything he could be made to do. There's one thing that a slave could, was not uh, forced to do, is to untie the sandals and take his shoes off of his feet. That was below even the, the position of a slave. And so what is John saying? I am not even worthy to be less than a slave to Jesus Christ. Understand clearly the 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 dy- dynamic here between Jesus and John that, that John is setting up here in this text. And so as we look and understand that, that it is not because of John's worthiness, and it's not because of our worthiness that we get to be Christians. It is because Jesus is worthy. That's why we come and we worship and worship Him alone. That's why idols are so dangerous, because you're putting worth in something besides Jesus Christ, who Himself is God. We will answer for those idols in our lives if we do not put them away. What is an idol? Many times in those days, they would have a little idol that they'd pray to. There's a Chinese place on Douglas Road. If you go in and buy food, you'll see a little Buddha that, that they pray to. That is a literal idol. But many of us don't have those kind of idols. We, we have other kinds of idols. There's a football game around in a little while. I know some of you want to go see it. If that means more to you than being at church and worshiping God, that is an idol. There are many things we could name. Ultimately, is Jesus enough? Is he the thing you give worth? If you could have nothing else in life, if God said you could have one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? For me, it would be worship of him. I hope you can answer the same thing. It's why we do everything we do. We don't send the, the 500-some boxes we sent last year to children around the world just because we like having that fun time together. Yes, we like having that fun time together, but we want it to be an act of worship, and we want these children to know who God is so that they can worship. And a day will come in glory where we are together with those children worshiping God. Ultimately, our life as human beings finds value in worship and worship alone because God is the one who has given us value. So when we, we, we see the newspaper articles about the, the women's march, for me it's not about the women's march. It's about them declaring that an a unborn child has no value. That child has been made in the image of God. It has more value than you can ever comprehend. As do you. You have been made in the image of God. Do not let anyone 
or any of the devil and his demons tell you that, that you are less than anything that you are. Because you are holy, you are righteous, you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Sometimes we go through really hard moments in life. You have one weapon to defeat the enemy. It is prayer. You get to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Think about that. When you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you are acting as a son and daughter of the Most High God. You are going into the very presence of the throne room of God by the authority of Jesus Christ. You are able to have your prayers heard by the Father. If we were not Christians, if we had not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we should not expect our prayers to, to be answered, let alone heard. If they are heard, is by the grace of God. Think about this. When, when you're going through those hard times, the first thing you should do is pray. The second thing you should do is pray. After that, then you can call others to pray with you. But it is the greatest power you have. The devil doesn't fear you. He fears Jesus. He fears his name and makes him tremble. Well, when John, John talks about the wrath of God that is to come, and he talks about the fire that is unquenchable, that is not the Holy Spirit fire he's talking about. He is talking about the fires of hell. Who has warned you to flee? I pray somebody has warned you, and I pray you have listened. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, they came, and they heard the testimony of John, and what was about to happen, that John was going to reveal who the Messiah was. And did they wait around to see who the Messiah was? Did they join John, in, and were they baptized in the baptism of repentance that John had? No. They mocked John. They said, why are you baptizing then? You're not the Messiah. Who are you? You're not the Messiah. Who are you? You're a son and daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. Remind our enemy of that. Next time you're going through those hard moments. John had a threefold purpose in the baptism. Number one was to tell people to repent. We still do this today. Any gospel message that does not include repentance is not a gospel message. There are many people who believe in Jesus intellectually, but in their heart there has been no repentance at all. We must re repent if we are expecting to be saved. I think Jesus is going to take you in if you do not repent. Oftentimes repentance is described as turning a 180. And while that is good, that is not really the, the biblical definition of repentance. Repentance is turning away from your sin and whatever is making you to sin, and not just turning away from that, but turning to God and worshiping God and having your focus be on God. If your focus day and night is on God, you will not sin. The problem is we take our focus off of God, and that is when we, we are tempted to sin. And we'll fall lower and lower until we focus our attention back on God. But he is faithful to forgive us. Number two, his, his message was kingdom-centered. Every church should be kingdom-centered. We should be about the kingdom of God. Yes, we are Americans, and we want to desire to make our country as best as it could be. But first and foremost, as Christians, we are now foreigners in this land. We are no longer of this world. We should be about the kingdom of God above all else. I want you to notice that John doesn't have to explain the kingdom. Why is that? Because the Jews understood what the kingdom of God was. They studied their scriptures. If you study the Old Testament, you'll understand great, greatly what the kingdom of God is. It is something that will be earthly. 
And if you don't know what I mean by that, we, we went through the entire book of Revelation. You could check, check that out. But it will be earthly. It will be a, a national restoration for Israel. And the, the Messiah will be reigning from Jerusalem. His name is Jesus Christ. Any other theology that tells you that, that Jesus is not actually going to come back and return, that it's, it's your spiritual or it's an allegory or it's a way to tell a story over and over, the kingdom of God is not about how you live in your heart. It is about how we are going to live when Messiah is king. There's many prophecies about Jesus Christ. One of them is that he will be the king of all kings. Question for you. When has Jesus ever reigned as king? He hasn't. But he will. He is coming again to reign as king forever. That promise was given to King David. God is not a liar. That will come to pass. But many times we will say things, and, and I understand what preachers are trying to say when they say, well, accept Jesus into your heart. I would say, no, get down on your knees and make Jesus Lord. That is what he is asking you to do. It's not just a superficial, I, I believe in Jesus inside of my heart. If you believe in Jesus, every aspect of your life will show it. And that is why John tells the Pharisees and Sadducees, bear fruit keeping with repentance. John is saying, you Pharisees, Sadducees, you come out here to mock me, where is your fruit? He says, I have forsaken everything. John was never married. He never enjoyed the pleasure of having a family. He didn't have a house. He didn't have the cars or the camels and donkeys in those days. He didn't have the vacation packages. He had none of that. All he had was the, the kingdom work that God had given him to do. You and I, we are far more richly blessed in, in the physical things of life. But do not allow those things to become idols. And then John's baptism. What, what is different about John's baptism than the baptism of today? John was not ushering in the church. He was not uh, doing this about so, so we would uh, declare that we are identifying the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That baptism would come later. And what J John's disciples did when they committed in baptism, they were repenting and preparing themselves for the kingdom to come, and they agreed to follow whoever John identifies as the Messiah. Later on in the book of Acts, you'll, you will meet a group of these people who they were baptized by John, but did not hear who he proclaimed were the Messiah. And when the Apostle Paul tells them, they get excited because they know this man really is the Messiah, because that is why John has been sent. His whole reason for being, this is the, the climax of his ministry. When Jesus enters those waters and he baptizes Jesus and we see the Holy Spirit coming down upon him, that is his purpose in life, is to identify the Messiah, to prepare the way for the Lord. And that is what John did. He was faithful. And we'll see from that point on, his ministry declines until his death. But it's not about us individually. It's about Jesus. We are to prepare the way in people's hearts for them to receive Jesus. For them to, to bow the knee to Jesus. Are we willing to do that as a people? Are we willing to get un uncomfortable and let people know that they have to bow the knee? That there's no, there's no halfway with Jesus. There's no, you're going to have Jesus on Sunday morning and before, before bedtime when you pray and that two minutes that you read scripture during the day on your phone. No, Jesus is a 24-7, 365, your entire eternity commitment. When Jesus says, come follow me, there, there's no asterisk to it. Every person said, well, let me go do this, or let me go do that. You're not worthy of me, he said. You must be willing to follow me, even to the point of death. 
Understand, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a, a call to come and follow Christ is a call to come and die. Are you willing to put your physical flesh to the death, the needs and the desires that, that, that you have as a physical human being to receive eternal life? God's going to raise up your body one, one day again. I've joked with you before, we all have eternal life, you just don't know it. You're eternally going to be in heaven or eternally going to be in hell. And there, there's something unique about your body in hell. It is not consumed because you now have an eternal body. The glorified body that, that will be, be in hell is, is not one you're going to appreciate very much because you will feel that agony forever. But if you received Christ, you will be in heaven with him until he comes again, until he establishes his kingdom. And you get to reign with Jesus. You get to serve with Jesus. You get to be with him and worship him forever. There's nothing on this earth comparable to it. There's nothing on, on this earth that is even remotely close. Paul tells us that we can't even imagine the things that God has in store for those who will call in the name of Jesus. So there's a few few final um, things I want to touch on as we, we looked here. Um, when, when we see the, I want to contrast the, the difference with the Lord's baptism and the baptism of John. John's baptism has one of the greatest moments in all of history. A lot of times people will struggle, what does it mean that there's a trinity? That, the, that God is a holy triune, three-in-one God. Well, what do we see at the baptism of Jesus? The Father says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we have the Father. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him. So we have the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus Christ being baptized. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're three different entities, but yet are one together. And so if people have questions about this, point them to this verse. This is where we see a great example of, of not God being in different modes or switching from Jesus to the Father to the, the Spirit. That is not what happens here. This is the true God revealing His Son to the world. Jesus was baptized, he says, for all righteousness. He showed that He would fulfill all righteousness that the law required. You and I, we, we have failed the law, we have broken the law. We cannot fulfill the righteous demands that the law requires. But the good news is Jesus already has. And when, when we place our faith in Christ, His righteousness is imputed, is, is put into us. So when, when the Father looks down from heaven and He sees you, He does not see you, the one born a sinner. He sees you, the one who, is, who has the righteousness of Christ upon you. He sees His own Son when He sees you. He identifies with John's message. It is His kingdom the people need to be prepared for. Number three, it's His baptism that publicly identifies him to Israel. So in, in John's baptism, Jesus is acknowledging to all of Israel that he is the one that was to come. From the very first prophecy in Genesis 3, when, when, the, when Eve's descendant will crush the head of the serpent, they're talking about Jesus. On down from Noah, every Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, every prophecy about the one to come is fulfilled in Jesus. Part four is he was identified with the believers who were baptized. He was part of the believing remnant of Israel. He is God, but he is also one of us. Understand, when you suffer and you go through pain, and I know there's many of you lately or have family members that are physically going through things of pain. I know our sister Juanita is physically suffering pain from bone cancer. It is painful. Yes, but it, through that she is able to identify with the pain that Christ went through for her already. Regardless of what you go through, there's nothing more painful than a death by crucifixion. 
There's nothing more spiritually painful than forever being with the Father and then for a moment in time being cut off from the Father. When the Father turns His face away from His Son, for our sake, you and I can never imagine that pain. So whatever you're going through, know you can be identified with Christ. He identifies with sinners, for it is for sinners He has come to die. As He said, He, he did not come to for, for the for those that are well, but for those that are sick. You and I have a terminal condition far worse than cancer. Sin, the wages of sin are death. This body will die because sin has contaminated. The curse of sin is upon all of creation. But God is going to remove that curse and he's going to create it new. A new heaven, a new earth. And along with that, a new body. Who's ready for that? You won't need any more knee surgeries. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And this is where the Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I'd ask you one final question before we, we close in prayer. Would God say the same to you? Would He say, This is my Son or daughter in whom I am well pleased? Or will He say, This is the person that's come to church, but I never knew them? Jesus will say that to some of us if, if we, we are not right with the Lord, if we have not placed our faith in the Lord. Say, on the, on the last day, there will be many that come to Jesus will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? said it before, but I have never cast out a demon. I've never even thought of that. That is something that is not common to our culture. To me, it seems you would have to have a, a great amount of faith in God to do so. But here we see people that even doing such great things, it is not about the things that we do that please God. It is about our faith. And so I pray this day that you have had faith in Jesus Christ. And if not, when this final song has come, come down. I would love to pray with you. I'm not going to tell you to pray a certain prayer. It's not about the words. It's about your heart towards God. Are you ready to repent and, and turn from the, the sins in your life, those idols, and turn to God? Because if that is today, you will receive salvation. It will be the greatest day of your entire life. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the many blessings we have, Lord. Above all, that we get to be called sons and daughters. How blessed are we, Lord, to be adopted by, by our Father in heaven. That we get to pray in your name, Jesus, and our Father hears us that the Holy Spirit now indwells us and all those who genuinely believe, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. If there is anyone here who has heard this message, Lord, let us no longer be Pharisees and Sadducees hearing but not being obedient. Let us be obedient to you always, bending the knee until you come. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.